Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Today's guest is Katie Langstaff. She's in the architectural field, and she really focuses on how we live in relationship to nature, and specifically in the products that we build and the homes and the buildings that we design. Katie has studied with Christopher Alexander, which many of our listeners may know as the author of Timeless Way of Building and a Pattern Language, among other publications. And she and her husband own a company called Autopoesis. Katie, you can do a better job of explaining about your company. What, what is it? How did you get into it? Why did you start this company? And what is the goal? What's your mission? Uh, Autopoiesis uh, means harmony with living systems. And my husband is a scientist by training. Uh, he studied complex systems. And my uh, master's is in architecture. And we were searching for a way to help um, create uh, places that were made humans feel wonderful and that weren't damaging to the environment. Um, in the early days, we looked at many different types of frameworks like the natural step, and we decided along the way, four or five years into business, that rather than meeting our clients' needs and their desires for sustainability, that we would simply just be in the service of life. That everything that we did through uh, development projects, developing products, finance, would really be in the service of life. And Katie, we had a number of shows that expand the concept of medicine really to our everyday life. You know, what do we, how does what we think, for instance, and feel make a difference for our health and well-being? And uh, you were specializing in the concept of space and how the spaces that we live in and work in and sleep in is affecting our health and well-being. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about what you found out over the years, uh, why that is so important that we take an active role in choosing and building and designing those spaces rather than thinking that is somebody else's job and we look around and then put some money down and then just move in and that'll do. Uh, great question. I, um, I think it's important to realize that we are animals and that um, as we have co-evolved with all of nature, we have an opportunity, even in our modern world, to create environments in which the animal being feels alive feels fully human. And um, it's possible to achieve that through uh, a relationship to the sun. You know, the sun really generates everything <laughs> in our planet. And uh, it's something that's very important to us. Uh, and, and, and the way that we design space and create space, um, that's one of the core things that I think about as a designer because it can produce energy, it can help with thermal comfort, and then just the quality of light. Um, one, my professor, Christopher Alexander, wrote in 1977 a study, an eight-year study with the National Institute of Mental Health to study the effects of space on the human condition. And one of the patterns that he came up with um, was a window place. Uh, 
a place for being in the sun and sitting in the sun and observing the sun. He also looked at that portal from the inside to the outside and um, created something called Zen View. You know, we can actually design our buildings and frame those spaces and windows to the outside such that it makes us feel better. It's proven that it makes us feel better. And in fact, Roger Ulrich uh, is a is a research scientist whose br- groundbreaking studies prove that patients in hospitals who have a view to nature actually recover quick, more quickly than those who do not. So in, in very simple ways, um, we have the ability as designers or placemakers or even within our own homes to make changes that that will um, enhance our well-being. Katie, can you, through an example of a building that you've actually created or a project that you've worked on from start to finish, can you give us some specific examples of that kind of relationship that we can have to, whether it's a home or a building or maybe even just some kind of furniture? Sure. There's a, there's a couple things that come to mind, and, and um, one of the key concepts is generative design. And it's a core principle in Christopher Alexander's work in The Nature of Order, where he talks about, I am making it, and it is making me. And I think a lot of times in our society, the speed is so fast that we don't slow down to really experience the process of healing or the process of making. So in generative design, um, most recently I've been experimenting in my own home with uh, a bed I designed in collaboration with a craftsman and my husband and my daughter. And uh, we took this, uh, this approach of rather than going and buying a piece of furniture, what would, it, what would it mean to make something that had the same longevity as, the, as the, the bones of my home built in 1903 that was real nominal two-by-four studs with steel-cut nails? So we went to a forest about 30 miles from our home that's FSC uh, certified that's an ecological forest. We spent the day hiking through the forest and we harvested these gigantic um, chanterelle mushrooms, which was feeding us in a whole different way. And then I brought my daughter back to meet the 90-year-old tree that um, was harvested and put in a solar kiln. And then we chose the wood for, to make her bed. And in the ge- generative design process, we are looking at building experiments that allow me as a designer in collaboration with the other people I'm creating with to look at the wood and position it this wood with this birthmark or these characteristics that accentuates and echo the curve of this alcove I'm making. And it's a very different process. It's much slower, you can tell. But it's one that, that adds more meaning to the journey as of the makers. Um, I would also say that another part of um, another project or things that you can incorporate are participatory design. There are many people who do barn raisings, you know, the old, in the olden times. How do you create something larger than yourself? The straw bale movement in building has been a huge way to bring community participation in. Um, and that quality where people come together to give their good intentions to help make something um, can be felt. You can imbue what you make with love or joy or some supreme divine energy that heals you as a maker that then when you're in the presence of that has a, has an extraordinary gift of healing back to you. And I think it's important to note that we are at an exciting time here for that kind of work to happen because we are not in the 70s anymore where you know, people say, oh, that was just a bunch of hippies who are 
having some new age ideas that are not organized and they're, they're, the, the quality of the outcome is not there. Whereas it is now we are at a place where there's incredible craftsmanship in uh, that people have and bring to the table and where some of the leading uh, people in building as well as in food making, mm -hmm. uh, they are using those kind of concepts. I just uh, two days ago had a conversation with uh, my good friend Ludwig Fischer, from, who is a professor of German literature at Willamette University, who lives now in Toronto and said that uh, the very conservative Michelin Guide, uh, which is a French outfit, mm -hmm. of course, uh, for giving uh, restaurant stars, uh, had decided that the best restaurant in the world was a place called Eigensinn Farm, north of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, where the owner is raising every egg you eat there, every piece of meat, every uh, vegetable, like as the customer, you, you pull your own carrot before you <laughs> go to the table. Uh, that is, you know, from the most conservative restaurant critics in the world, they say that is the best restaurant. And this way of thinking uh, is uh, uh, interestingly not Eigensinn anymore, which means it's like... Uh, uh, unique and uh, idiosyncratic thinking, it is becoming mainstream, actually, and at a very high quality. Right, and, and what that brings to mind for me is you can't often buy or pay for the love and the goodwill or the intention that comes forth when people bring that to making. And Heiner, I'd like to speak a little bit about your house and what an extraordinary opportunity it was to be a part of that. And it wasn't just for me as a designer. Um, it was in the collaborative design sense where the timber framer um, had so much pride in the team that came together. When there was a timber framers guild, he wanted to get all the consultants together, the the CAD designers, the architects, the sustainability designers, everyone to come together to be a part of and celebrate. That's another quality, celebrating what you've done and talk about this work. But the hidden part for me that was really joyful that you and your family brought in was that you really wanted um, your friends and your community and your colleagues to help imbue their gifts to this building that we were making. And it was extraordinary to be there and watch young children, all the way up to Chinese medical professionals, uh, to students who were studying at uh, the Natural, National College of Naturopathic Medicine, to come forth and to learn about um, to learn about making something. And my question for you a little bit is, do you, d did that play back to you through your children, through your community, through your students? You know, what, what did they experience in making that house? Well, I must confess that as a, you know, in the beginning, I approached this very, uh, this project as a German intellectual, which meant I had sort of a vision of a museum of healthy living where everything that I could think of should happen, I wanted to integrate in there. And that was a variety of pieces. It was the sustainability piece. It was the uh, the um, community participation piece. But most of it, three major parts, and that is using uh, non-toxic building materials. And you were, of course, the point person for that with your company that was at that point called Sustainable Systems Design. And uh, spec basically every nail or uh, material that went into there and made sure it was non-toxic because that is something 
that is one of the biggest problems in modern times that people assume just because I buy it at a store or somebody, it's got to be safe and then leave it up to the government or some nebulous agency to decide what's safe uh, for us or not and uh, have gone completely away from this idea that using natural materials uh, is the best thing for the human body and uh, think it's got to be made by a machine and be sold by a big company uh, in order to be uh, durable when the opposite is true. Our American houses are so are falling apart that after not even reaching 100 years, and it's the old craftsmen's houses that stand up, they don't have any of the plywood, they don't have any of the plastic wrapping around it, etc. We basically, even the million-dollar-plus houses nowadays, they are sort of incubators of toxicity where, where you have a plywood that is basically glue uh, holding together various unhealthy materials that you then wrap in plastic and then that is off-gassing for the duration of the house to the inside of the space. And uh, maybe 50 years ago when people were healthier, there was a greater mm. ability to withstand that stress. But uh, in modern times, we've talked a lot about the the small intestine and its ability, or the Taiyang organs in general, which is part of the Chinese uh, organ systems in charge of immunity, to hold out toxic ingredients that is greatly weakened in modern times. And uh, I find that the, the, the toxicity of the space that people live in greatly contributes to the conditions uh, that they have, and they never think about that because they, they completely divide their bodily existence from their most immediate environment and especially the place where they sleep in. The second thing was my preference for natural building materials. And so there was even the window um, caulking was handmade with by an expert uh, from Germany in this case. And uh, that was a very amazing thing is to have earth in the walls and have it look professional and f have it feel warm, just the feeling of the space is so dramatically different. Have basically, you're in a place, it's like you're camping because you're communicating with the environment through breathable walls that are not wrapped in plastic, but you've got uh, plaster on the wall outside as well as inside that make the wall look more uh, pleasurable, palpable, and beautiful than a regular type of building. And thirdly, and uh, very important to us as well, was the concept of sacred geometry, that the numbers that were used to create that space are the same numbers that exist out in nature and therefore create a very natural feeling and also a sacred feeling. People always say they feel like a temple in there. And to answer your question, in the beginning, I kind of it was an intellectual project for me, but after living in it now for seven, eight years, I must say that uh, has done more, that space has done more for my own health and well-being than I could have ever imagined, uh, even though I thought it would probably be good for me and for us as a family, but it vastly exceeded my expectations. What, one of the um, other design principles that we used was this idea of bow biology. And, um, in, in when you build with clay, we had an opportunity to to make the walls what we call uh, breathable or porous, and 
it's an interesting concept because then with the idea of biology, the building itself becomes what they call the third skin. So I don't, I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about sort of Chinese medicine in the third skin. But for me, as a, as a, as a building designer, it's this, it's this embracing warmth. It, uh, the, the clay itself radiates uh, humidity and temperature so that the humidity is 55 degrees. Um, the temperature is 55 to 75 degrees year-round, which means that you only have to heat and cool buildings very little in order to be comfortable. So we're already making energy savings. But then the quality that I think could use a lot more research and experimentation is this quality of, of humidity control. If you think about um, uh, museums or hospitals that have a real uh, need to control moisture, but they don't use materials that actually allow that. Um, uh, the other principles that I think are wonderful is the way that the clay absorbs the sound so that when we move into this home, one of the things I was struck with instantly was that my my skin, my actual skin could relax because in, in normally in walking around, it's always receiving the vibration of light and energy and sound. But in this building, I could relax, my skin could, my whole body could, and then the miracle, I could actually hear my heart like as, the, as it was pumping blood. And, and where are the few places where you feel that relaxed, where you can actually do that? I can think of caves. I can think of some places where that quality of sound or when, you, when your body actually truly relaxed. So as we design spaces, we have, I think, an obligation to be... Um, to change the way that we make them, to change the parameters about what we include or what we're designing for, what are design goals. It couldn't, you know, how can we choose materials and processes and shapes and forms that work in a way that are actually restorative to to us as humans and not ones that actually can be more um, more sort of um, what's what's my word? Kind of uh, they can attack. They're more they're attacking. They're more mm -hmm. confrontational. That you know, spaces that draw you inward, and, and and you're sort of defensive as opposed to ones where you can just kind of relax. It's very interesting that you mentioned that concept of a second skin because that is exactly uh, how I feel in that building. Is that in Chinese medicine it's bad feng shui to have few people live in a big cavernous space. You know, it's like your energy evaporates and the building is almost sucking the energy out of you rather than keeping it. In and this building has the the quality that you can put a hundred people into it at a party, and you feel like you can easily put another hundred into it. It's like the space has a living quality expands, but if you're the only person in it, it's a, it's a almost six thousand square foot home. You you feel like this is not too big of a space. It kind of the space shrinks around you, and it is exactly. Uh, what happens when you put natural materials into a home that, like your body, it then is a living organism that can change and transform. And it is was interesting to watch that we had lots of people work together, including the contractors, hammer in hand in Portland, that were very open to this holistic design. Uh, owners are graduates from Reed College, very uh, green-oriented and, and forward-thinking institution. 
Uh, but they were also very concerned in the beginning, what? You don't want to put at least tar paper around the windows? And uh, the, uh, the Franz X, the expert from Germany, uh, who consulted on the project, he was just laughing about that at this uh, lack of trust, basically, in natural systems, because he said, I've been renovating old German houses that are a thousand plus years old. And when I open up the walls, the straw in there is glistening. You have a thousand years of rain and frost and wind blowing at this building, and it gets walls get wet with a lime plaster, and then they dry, dry out, and they get wet and they dry out. And after a thousand years, the straw looks like new. And um, the the if we start wrapping things in plastic to keep evil things like moisture out, we actually create that black mold that we are talking about, et cetera, and we create the dry rot, et cetera. Whereas if we use only natural materials and we don't compromise, then there is a living integrity to the system that the building can take care of itself, just like the body can take care of itself. And that is the tragedy of modern agriculture, of course, and modern medicine is that we don't trust the living integrity uh, that systems have that they can take care of itself, but we feel like we need to intervene from the outside because we know better, and of course, we don't know better. We just affect one part and then create a mess usually. Exactly, and that's what uh, our business focuses on. My husband, Stuart Count, is author of Ecological Design, and we, in, in that book, uh, we did a lot of research around how ecosystems perform functions that we can't possibly design. They perform them more effectively, and I think this whole movement that we're, we're describing is how do we move back to uh, and incorporate the efficiency, the effectiveness, the genius of the evolutionary wisdom of all of life as humans, as we move towards more and more satisfactory, uh, vibrant ways of being. Yeah, what's the balance there, Katie? It seems like the work of Christopher Alexander is a lot about observation, right? It, going, figuring out through direct experience what right. makes you comfortable, what makes you healthy. And you've also alluded to a study that was done in relationship to that. Can you give us your insight about what you know of scientific research that's been done, and then also what other approaches can be used in order to be able to discern what is the harmonious way to proceed with how we choose our environments. So it's an interesting paradigm we're in. One is uh, the scientific world where there's this desire to need to know and be factual, and let's face it, responsible. We want to be responsible as clinicians or as doctors or as building designers. Um, and then this other part that says there's an individual responsibility to themselves to, to know what they know and to feel. And a lot of it comes down to actually feeling. And if, if you think about the um, a, an intuition or that gut response, well, it turns out that there are many peptides and nerve endings in the stomach, and we actually we actually are responding to to our situation, and we're feeling it, and we're intuiting it. I think that um, in terms of uh, research and science, uh, the building industry in, within architecture, there's a, there's a meshing between the design profession and the neuroscientists. Try, as we learn more and more about the brain and can do measurements on the effects of uh, meditation, different types of, pr of practices, and how the, the, the brain responds, they're bringing this research now into building design and how 
uh, soft spaces or different types of different qualities will enable the individual to respond in a different way than, say, uh, corridors that are long without light or noises that are uh, startling. Uh, people who are he- who are healing have you often have um, compromised immune systems, and so therefore, these su- these surprise these noise surprises uh, or glaring lights or different things are disruptive to their healing. So you can see how there's both the individual response that I have a responsibility to myself. I can tune in. I can listen to myself, and I can um, and then I can be held within a larger environment that can be restorative. Katie, that makes me think of um, something that has been discovered in medicine that babies that are born prematurely being put into incubators to really, you know, protect them and keep them safe. And over time, we've realized that those babies are out of the womb prematurely. They're subjected to bright lights, loud sounds, and a very sterile environment. They're not held. They're not in clay. They're not in earth and that it makes such a total difference for them to be from the very earliest entrance into the outer world. It's so necessary for the health of, for us as animal humans to be in an environment that includes the harmony of nature. And Lori, that, that brings us uh, to, to another thought. I'm always um, very surprised at the way how human beings after a very short of period of time can fall into patterns that are really unhealthy but just because everybody does it we think it's normal and uh, i find that the building industry especially uh, is uh, like that including with some of the research we just talked about is discovering some of those problems but only scratching the surface. And that is really where we can learn from ancient systems, uh, whether it is feng shui in China or similar systems, uh, Vedic um, building techniques, etc., where people have known uh, ways, scientific ways, how the body needs to interrelate with nature directly around us, the forest, the mountains, the air, but also the cosmic environment. Right. So, um, there's a couple of things with with building codes. There's an extreme, profound spike in building science and feedback to to the design profession, and yet, um, and there are things like uh, lead leadership in, for energy, environment, and design, and how there are certain qualifications to be more energy efficient in things. And sometimes, even though we have the building science and research, we don't end up with a product that is necessarily restorative to humans. So, for example, um, after designing the Fruhoff House, I worked on an acupuncture clinic uh, for another uh, Chinese medicine doctor in Portland. And the best building science research from Massachusetts, Building Science Corporation, said that for our climactic zone, you should never use Tyvek wrapping on a building, that that's exactly where, how you trap moisture. So this particular building, I had to, I, I used the science and I designed a flow-through wall assembly and it took, um, my building application was denied and then it took, uh, the uh, appeal was denied and then the, finally the head of the department through reconsideration of appeal approved the building wall assembly, which was actually the best science that we had, and yet the local building codes were in violation of that. So 
there's definitely farther to go. But if you look, if you look throughout time and human wisdom, we've always designed with local materials. And they're, they're climactically, um, they, because they, they are in that actual air environment, they're the best materials to use and to work with. And that was one of the things that was so rewarding about working on your project is that, um, you were open through your, your, uh, childhood in Germany to, and having grown up and seen these different types of buildings, you had an opening there. But then also, I think through your through your Chinese medicine, you had an interest in an, in an, in an earth home from a five element perspective. And so we were able to blend um, some ancient traditions with some ancient uh, the the wisdom through Chinese medicine, and then through some of the modern adaptations of ancient materials to come up with a product that I think is really quite astounding. And now in the building codes in the city of Portland, that particular project has paved the way for straw clay buildings as part of the building code. So within a 10-year cycle, we've already had this Im impact locally where when we started, there was no precedent and nowhere, nowhere to go with that. So I think it does take time. And I think, as you said earlier, I think our society is really ready for these changes and ready for things that we can do on our own without waiting for maybe someone else to to do it for us or finding a ways that we can be more empowered to make those changes and, and become healthier. On that hopeful note, we've reached the end of our time today. Thank you so much, Katie, for being here with us today. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Um, that's it for our, this episode of True Nature Radio. I'm Laurie Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Um, if you are interested more about the work of Katie Langstaff and her husband, Stuart Cowan, uh, in the realm of creating harmony through the design of living systems in the building realm as well as in the realm of business and other enterprises, their company is called Autopoesis. They are located in Portland, Oregon. And you can find out more about uh, their business at apoesis.com. If you're interested in the business of natural medicine, check out the website of the National College of Natural Medicine, including the classical Chinese medicine program there at ncnm.edu. Or if you're a layperson liking more information, about holistic topics, especially as they pertain to ancient Chinese medicine, go to classicalchinesemedicine.org.